this is Swampside Chats, a podcast where, every week, communists sit down to shoot the shit about current events, history, political economy, and theory. This week, we sit down to discuss the essay, The Imposition of Sexual Morality, by Wilhelm Reich, from the collected essays, Sex Paul, 1929 to 1934. Energy simulators, just turn your eyeballs into craters. Mother, all gone accumulators in the supernova. I'm Jake. I'm with Communist League Tampa. And joining me tonight is Lexi. This is Lexi of Emancipation, accumulating orgone. Rosa. Rosa from Emancipation, jerking off in a metal box, also collecting orgone energy. Grant. Grant, also from Emancipation. And Donald. Donald, Commissar of Sexual Liberation. All right. So tonight um, we are talking about an article uh, titled The Origin of Sexual Repression by Wilhelm Reich from his collection uh, Sex Paul Essays 1929 to 1934. Um, I guess a little background on Wilhelm Reich. Uh, Wilhelm Reich, grandfather to Robert Reich, the uh, liberal economist and uh, advisor to the Clinton administration. Is that uh, right? No, I just made that up. No, he's um, bullshitting. Oh, Don't bullshit on. to the masses like that, Jake. You're, you're bullshitting <laughs> the masses. You're bullshitting to me. I was like, what? No way. No, I mean, he actually could be his dad because, like, Reich was Robert Reich was born in like the 40s. But anyway, um, so Wilhelm Reich uh, was one of the early, like, part of like the second generation of sort of OG psychoanalysts. He studied under Freud and became particularly interested in well, his background was I think he was somewhat well to do from like Eastern Europe and he got into psychoanalysis. His big focus was on sexuality, which you know. It's a logical outcome of like psychoanalysis, but the, I guess the difference between him and Freud is that um, Robert Reich saw like curing like sexual Robert inadequacy. Oh, is that, did I say that again? Oh, yeah, yeah. Say, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Richard Wolf wants to. Richard what is Wolf, he? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Wilhelm Reich uh, basically became like super focused on sexuality as like the sort of magic bullet that could like fix all of neuroses and all of the problems, which is kind of understandable. I feel like if you look at Freud, how someone would working out from that, like derive that conclusion. Um, he became like interested in Marxism and saw it as a way to actually like fix a lot of the, you know, neurotic things that were in- inhabited in the culture and in the structure. His life gets like increasingly weird, like during and after world war two, um, like a lot of psychoanalysts, he got the fuck out of Dodge. Uh, when the Nazis came to power, he be- he became increasingly like his his therapy well, methods. To America, he moved. Yeah, he, he moved first to Norway yeah. and then to America. He became increasingly interested in like in crank science and this idea that like the like the orgasm was a form of like bioelectricity that could be channeled into like a chemical <laughs> substance that could cure cancer. And he just kind of went down. Like, he just basically just went like increasingly insane. Yeah, he started, started getting into just like complete, you know mystic yeah. crank type stuff yeah and he became like increasingly mo- paranoid and, and yeah. he's mostly known for that today unfortunately yeah it was it, history of being a marxist is pretty much forgotten yeah it, it was motivated by him being kicked out of like the associate like association for psychoanalysis that existed at the time and the communist party in the early 30s like Freud at the time, like regarded him very highly. Like he thought, you know, there was a lot of potential in him. But he gave him like the book, this book that he wrote, basically on like the, I think it was like the function of the orgasm, and it's like this thick tome, and Tr- Freud was just like all this on that, like on that, that's it. All this is on this one subject, and he felt like he felt like uh, Wilhelm Reich was really like just singularly focused on it as like a hobby horse, and he started to basically do. He started what he called was like the sex palm movement where he basically provided like psychoanalytic counseling and Marxist advice and contraceptives to workers in like Vienna. And he just ran like these sex counseling clinics for workers with this idea that, you know, like by helping like the working class to, uh, you know, properly like channel their sexual energies, it would like 
help them yeah, better yeah, develop you, you their class to, consciousness. Like, it's like um, you know how like uh, like Nazis always talk about like the utter degeneracy of Weimar Germany. I wonder if that's like yeah. one of the things that are referencing. Like you know, there's these clinics where workers can go to like learn how to you know properly fuck and like live a uh, you know <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's just. It yeah. kind of fits well, like this he, whole uh, stereotype of Weimar Germany, but in in a good way. Well, and yeah, he he was like giving like you know basically like sex counselors, contraceptives, and like telling teenagers that it's okay to go fuck. And this actually got him in a lot of trouble with a lot of different people. Like even the communists were kind of like sketched out by this. And that was kind of like probably the beginning of like his persecution complex that as he went like increasingly insane. Yeah, I um, really think that um after he got kicked out of the communist party. And he became increasingly anti-communist, not just anti-Stalinist, but like literally anti-communist to the point where he was supporting, you know, President Eisenhower when he was in America. And yeah. so his rejection well, from the Marxists really like soured him, I think. Yeah, yeah because... but also don't knock that org orgone hustle. Like uh, I think William S. Burroughs bought one and there's a cute picture of Kurt Cobain and, and uh, William S. Burroughs' orgone accumulator. Anyway, that's an aside, but there I mean, there, was, there was has a song about it too. Like <laughs> there was a whole like cottage industry of orgone accumulators. I think it got banned in the United States. Like it was this like new age. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. They were in prison. Like the yeah, FDA literally like banned orgone manuals and stuff. There was this period um, where, like, psychoanalysis was being imported to the United States and being used by, like, industrial society to, like, I don't know, basically structure the workforce and shit like that. But there was this period where there was, like, a lot of, like, crank psychoanalysis. Like, this was the period also of um, L. Ron Hubbard. And there's actually some, like, weird parallels. Oh, yeah. Right? Because, like, Wilhelm Reich, it's often speculated that, like, L. Ron Hubbard... Um, forced like partners of his to get abortions and it's on the record that Wilhelm Reich kind of did Ooh. like numerous times yeah like he kind of pressured like people he's with to get abortions because like Wilhelm Reich you know he, he practiced what he preached like you know he was he was he was fucking everybody like it was, it was all over the place yeah and... but that's I don't know that's see that that's the thing and like I don't know this will come up on this later but like feminist anthropology that isn't necessarily Marxist focuses on like men's uh, exercise of control over women's bodies and that just strikes, you know, hits me in the wrong spot. I'll tell you. Yeah, and the other thing too is this idea that this this orgone thing could like cure cancer, which is like another kind of thing like you see out of like Scientology to a certain extent. Well, it's total and fucking it, it, new age crankery. Like you see yeah. that all over, all over. Like a lot of um, actually, it's interesting that that reminds me of uh, the original theories about chiropractic. There's this theory that there are subfluxations in the spine that literally cause all ailments. Like, you know, wh whatever. Yeah, so Whatever use chiropractic and psychoanalysis has, you have to detach it from those theories. Like Reich wasn't the only guy, yeah, getting into this kind of shit. And it's interesting too that like he disavowed Marxism because that's really really goes wrong. Because what surprised me reading this because like the last thing of his that I read a few years ago, I read like one like later updated because he went back and would like re-edit previous pieces to include his theory of the orgone in it. So I went back and reread the Mass Psychology of Fascism. It struck me as like a little bit kooky even if there were like good ideas in it. And that's because it was like a later edition where like he's sticking like orgone shit in there. Oh my yeah. God. Really? Well, I was going to say what's important about these selected readings we did is we specifically picked these out because they're unedited and from his Marxist era. So it's stuff from his classic era as a Marxist that he didn't go back and put all his orgone woo stuff into. So it's exactly. You know, it's, and that's a, I was, I was really surprised at just how like rigorous, yeah, how, just how rigorous it was. And I think that's kind of, I mean, I suspect there was probably some kind of like biological degeneration with his brain chemistry or whatever. Cause like he went, he really went off the deep end in like a big way. Like he thought he was using his orgone gun to like fight UFOs and shit. Because like a Marx, the problem is like, I think he began to see the solution. He did not, not only that he had like this, this monocausal fixation on sexuality as like the key to everything, um, but also that he thought that like these problems could be fixed via therapy, right? Like if he if he'd stuck to like like his Marxist roots, he would have recognized that like these uh, broader social problems are just that they're social and material in character, and you have to change the society. Well, you and that's what like... brought him to the Communist Party in the first place because he realized that you know just helping individual patients you know could only do so much, and that you know there was a deeper economic structure belying this sexual repression that was making people you know so psychologically ill. And on some level, I could understand why he would abandon communism, given that 
you know, like Stalin was very opposed to psychoanalysis generally. And when he defected to get out of Germany, he could, couldn't go east for that reason, obviously. Because with Stalin, like, if you were a communist who was opposed to him, that was almost worse than being a fascist. So, mm-hmm. you know, I could see why, you know, I mean, I think even Orwell turned a bit anti-communist as a result yeah. of, you know, the sort of traumatic experience of Stalinism. Um, so he certainly isn't alone in that regard. And it's unfortunate because I think if he'd maintained, I don't, I don't know if he would have stayed sane, but I think he might have at least theoretically been a little more rigorous and not just gotten into like woo shit. Well, I, um, I think it it's relevant as a Freudian that there was a, a turn where Freud doesn't just think about sexual repression and sexual instinct, but then starts thinking about more destructive instincts and what ends up being named the death drive or like the id in different versions of Freudian theory. Like yeah. um, when, well, when, the thing when, is like- when Freud does a deep dive into that in uh, civilization and his discontents, he predicts that once the USSR, you know, gets rid of its class enemies and, you know, Freud's like, yeah, sure. Communism would help would reduce violence. Sure. But once, uh, once the USSR eliminates its class enemies, it'll go for somebody else (laughs) because of these repressive like tendencies in civilization. Like you're going to keep needing these things. And I think those, the, the victory of those kind of tendencies in psychoanalysis over these, I don't know. I would imagine that would depress someone like Reich. Well, yeah, like and- Reich was a rebel against Freud because Freud said, you know, humans naturally have these horrible instincts that are all bad and need to be repressed in order for civilization to flourish. Whereas Reich says, no, humans are basically inherently good and their instincts are not to destroy each other. They're just channeled in negative ways by class society and patriarchy, basically. And it's it's not a big jump, too, from like psychoanalysis to utter crankery because, you know, psychoanalysis no, kind of not. is crankery. So like even Freud got into like this weird thing where like your sinuses were responsible for a bunch of shit and somebody got butchered <laughs> hey, as a result. Hey, of, actually, like, I actually can buy into well, that shit because my, I have mad sinus problems and I... Have also, I don't know, maybe maybe there's some truth to that. <laughs> yeah, and there was also a number of problems with Freud's methodology where he would just literally force diagnosis on people who right. were obviously not taking to it, like the wolf, uh, what is it, like the wolf man case, or yeah. what is it called again? Yeah. Is it that called that? Yeah, I think so. I think there's like wolf man, there's also rat man. And then there's like little Hans. I think there's a few. Yeah, where he ba- where he basically makes like a series of logical leaps to figure out, oh, oh, the problem with you, why you keep on having dreams about the wolf with uh, with the wolf pack in it is because you saw your mother fucking at five o'clock because there's five wolves, your mother and father <laughs> fucking. I'm not even joking. Like it's uh, one of that's like that's like manga logic. Like that's something yeah, that a character in like Death Note would come up with, you know. But it, it's it's just hard to overestimate how, how like respected think like Freudian psychology was at the time. There's an exchange between fucking Albert Einstein and Freud on war, where well, Einstein says to Freud, you know, above all, you're interested in the truth. Einstein. Well, well, and I mean, well, yeah, I mean, there's there's huge methodological problems with psychoanalysis, obviously, and it's it, I think in time has sh- shown that it's um its clinical usefulness is far more limited than its practitioners uh, hoped. Um, but, yeah. you know, obviously... Uh, as I'd say we've derived a decent amount of, of modern psychology that works from, you know, the psychoanalytic lineage in some sense. I mean... Well, it's more, Freud... it's more useful for the humanities than anything else. For yeah, it's more philosophy than it is. Yeah, like, I was going to say, like, I think only lit students take Freud seriously, and I don't think any psychologists actually like use Freud. I mean, well, that's, the, not, that's not true. That's not true. They're practicing Lacanians, believe it or not. I and, mean, yeah, I know. Yeah, they're they're not, it's common. America. It's yeah, it's common street. outside of the United States. There's even a Kleinian psychology, which is like a post-Freudian but not Lacanian practice after Melanie um, Klein. Right. Well, I, I, but I mean, like, that's true. Um, I guess my point is though, like it's it's made psychoanalysis is it's because it's was formed out of investigating things that we still don't have the tools to investigate as hard science, and because it worked in this almost kind of a priori manner, like Freud, for instance, like extrapolates a lot about humanity in general from examining neurotic uh, Viennese bourgeoisie people. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, uh, yeah. that's a it's a very like narrow subset of. It's a, it's a questionable method. Well, I think yeah, that's yeah. honestly kind of what puts Reich in a superior position because he actually, you know, reached out to the working class as well and wasn't just caring like Viennese bourgeois people. And so he kind of saw the sexual miseries of, you know, everyone basically and how, you know, the working class was, you know, oppressed in a different way than other classes perhaps. Yeah. Let's move forward to the piece in question. Um, so I, I kind of see this um, as being almost an extension of the origin of the family private property in the state. Mm -hmm. And yeah. what what Louis H. Morgan was to Ingalls, basically Bronislaw Malinowski is to Reich here. He's basically using the case study of uh, the Trobriand Islanders um, in order to understand and maybe get a sense of what perhaps early human society was like. Uh, and just for a little background, Bronislaw um, Malinowski, well, first of all, if you take like, like an intro to anthropology class, at some point you're going to hear about the Trobriand Islanders. Uh, it's like a pretty famous, partly because they're, uh, so form of social organization and sexual mores are so different from that of like modern Western society. It gives you a good um, view into kind of the uh, differences you'll encounter, like studying anthropological, anthropologically different societies, but also because the piece by Bronislaw Malinowski was kind of a landmark work. And it was kind of like one of the first like major pieces of ethnology. And so I, th it's even though, you know, Reich uh, tends towards crankery the piece that he's working from is actually pretty solid, especially given how old it is. Um, I'm not yeah. an anthropologist. That's not, that's not my field, but that's what I've, been, what I've been able to gather doing a little bit of like side research in preparation for this podcast. Well, it seems like what he's doing is what Marx today should do more is he's taking the most up-to-date modern anthropology that he can find and then using that as a basis for his in, in, you know, investigation in historical materialism rather than just being right. like, you know, you know, like rewrite angles using, I'm not, you know, he's actually doing original research and applying the Marxist method to it and taking, you know, the latest contributions of bourgeois science and then looking at them through a Marxist perspective, which I really respect in, in that case. So what's, what's really interesting about this is how he's looking at the way that sexuality relates to the economics and like political organization of society. And how people's habituation and those mores like shape the economy, and I you know I think looking to like primitive society is a you know that's probably a good place to do it because the economics are so much so much simpler relative to like you know modern industrial society. Like it's a good starting place to build a theory. I think. Yeah, um, you don't have you don't have these strictly defined class structures. You may have you know caste type structures, but. You know, the modern idea of like class structure isn't as developed. Right. Well, so, like, th there's also just a lot more variety. That's like as as cultures, you know, like have less like are sedentary and then have less and less of their society devoted to producing food and have more room for industry. And then like sometimes will accumulate. And again, cultures don't have to do this like um, but like that tends to homogenize things make and subordination of more and more life to the economy and the different ways people can organize life tends to homogenize things in a way that's kind of i don't know easier to generalize about and that's sort of uh because i agree with donald that what we have here is someone that's using fresh research not like not original research but you know like some of the best of its day and um and drawing out a rational like kind of system out of it however in order to do like i don't know there's so there's so much data today <laughs> um in, in order to like do that you have to be very sensitive to a lot of different ways of organizing life yes. there's a reason there's a reason people are afraid to abstract because exactly as as much as as much as i love what he's doing here he's most certainly not literally right about a lot of what he's saying well, it's because, sure. you know, he's only looking at one, you know, group, you know, he's only looking at, you know, a single society in history. And he's, you know, that's the problem of anthropology is that it's only focusing on a single society at a certain time. And he's not looking at, you know, maybe other early pre-capitalist societies and even pre-class societies were still different from this. Like you, but you he know, does, he does, that he is does, the case. 
He does well, argue his case pretty well because later he does draw on parallel examples from different societies that aren't exactly the same in terms of like matrilineal descent. That is true. Uh, that is yeah. True. No, so no, no, we, no. He's, he's, should, he's sophisticated in that regard. Maybe we should talk about his claims a little bit because what, um, what, uh, Melanowski like observed in the Trobriand Islanders was that they were like extremely like sexually uninhibited and, or at least not inhibited in the same way that, you know, like Western, you know, European society was, uh, basically like kids were allowed to like play like sexual games with each other, like without, uh, that being, you know, like censored or repressed in some way, um, teenagers like had, uh, places where they could go and fuck basically without any, uh, you know, without any like parental censorship or anything like that, um, it, people they they were to sort of, there was marriage, but you know women were free to divorce men in a, in a very easy way. Um, let's see. I there, mean, basically, and, the main point is that adolescent sexuality isn't repressed. Right, and, and they're that's the thing about Reich is that he sees adolescent sexuality's repression by the family unit as basically creating. It's a you know authoritarian personality, right? And he, he attributes this basically to uh, to a certain extent to the fact that they basically have matrilineal descent in the Trobrian Islands, and so there's no incentive for like the patriarch to, you know, sort um man like hypermanage like the sexual activity of like his children, uh, in order to ensure like a proper transfer of property because, um, the the I guess the quote-unquote patriarch in the household is the brother of of the mother, and he's responsible for his sister's children. Hmm. And so and, I guess what Reich argues changes things is basically the marriage dowry, is my understanding. And the right. Well, the, what he argues. Yeah. Well, what he argues is what happens is um, the marriage dowry is is a part of it, and even and basically um, the uh, brother of the guy uh, so the brothers have to pay um to their i okay if i if i remember the, let me try to keep all this straight because there's there's like diagrams and shit like blocking this out and explaining it uh let me see if i can pull one of those up real quick oh, yeah. yeah like i really recommend reading this essay because it's got cool diagrams and it's got cool anthropology I mean, it, and it's it wouldn't, it's it wouldn't be written wouldn't be written by a psychoanalyst if there wasn't some uh obscure diagrams somewhere these diagrams uh, are pictures Okay, right. So basically, the brother of of the so a woman marries a guy. Her husband gets uh, basically tribute from the brother, right? He he basically provides, and so um, there's there's no um, passing anything down to like your son, basically. Like you pass things down to whoever your sister marries, uh, or the the children of uh, rather the children of whoever your sister marries. So anyway, what he basically argues is there are chiefs, and chiefs can have like as many wives as they want. And so sooner or later, like the chiefs uh, begin to realize that if they marry, if they marry their son to their chief, to their own, uh, to their sister's uh, daughter or their niece, then they can pay tribute to their own son via that way because their sister's daughter married their son. Right. Um, so that allows them to basically begin a bloodline, so to speak. And that over time, this becomes normalized to the point that it basically becomes father right as opposed to mother right. Now, I'm not saying that's that's the gist of what he argues, and he basically and he 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 claims to see potentially in the Trobrian Islanders at this point in history in which they're being uh, examined um, by this anthropologist um, a means by which primitive societies could have trans uh, transformed from pa matriarchies to patriarchy, or at least one method. Does that make sense? Did I explain that okay? Yeah, I, th I think so. So, and that, what's interesting is, you know, because he also seems very cognizant of the fact that um, Westerners had already had contact with these people. You know, you're not looking at them inside of like a you know glass jar or something like that. Um, and so he kind of attributes some of the uh, things that he doesn't like in this potentially like primitive communist society to their like contaminations by Westerners already, which that, that you know that seems a little bit seems a little bit sketchy, but I you yeah. understand the impulse. Well, no, I mean, it's it's a very important reflexive impulse that needs to be practiced in anthropology because you're part of the subject matter. And it, there's a, just a problem with doing science on your own species. Like you're too you're too close to the situation. Even if you're looking at another society, you're bound to have 
your own society. It's hard to push through that stuff necessarily. It's a yeah. fundamental part of the discipline. And so to continue the narrative that Reich is kind of pushing out, he basically says that once you've established the father, right, because of patrilineal descent, basically the wife and children of the father become a form of accumulation of a tribute, basically. And it's basically a tributary form of accumulation. And as this develops, you know, you see development of harder, as, as private property develops on harder lines, you see this kind of tributary relationship develop in a more stratified way. And as it becomes more stratified, the need for repression of sexual instinct becomes integral to the functioning of society on this class basis. Well, I think that's, I mean, that's kind of intuitively true. I mean, maybe not that particular narrative, but the idea that sexual repression, fought, I mean, that's something that Freud would agree with. And that, that seems to be the fundamental difference is that, you know, because you see this from right-wingers all the time. Like, I was going on, like, uh, I was going on YouTube to try and find videos on Reich, and I, the only things I could find were from, like, woo-woo people and, like, some kind of borderline alt-right people. And so they'd have videos about Wilhelm Reich, he's so great, Wilhelm Reich, he's so great. But they'd also have videos where it's like, uh, well, maybe women shouldn't be allowed to fuck whoever they want because otherwise society becomes degenerate, <laughs> you know? Wow. Yeah, there's actually yeah. Um, about that. Wilhelm Reich is often cited as one of the uh, thinkers of cultural Marxism by like anti-cultural Marxists, like right-wing cranks. Like they know who Wilhelm Reich is and they know that he was this communist who preached like free sexuality. And so, but they like blump him in with the Frankfurt School, which is funny because he actually wasn't part of the Frankfurt School. Is that right? But, um, well, he he was a part of like of like dissident leftist Freudianism. Yeah, that's he what he has like, in common. He was kind of close to the Frankfurt School in that sense, okay. but he wasn't actually a member. And right. because you know, if I feel like maybe if he like became part of the Frankfurt School, he might not have degenerated as bad. But um, yeah, I, mean, kind of, I wonder if he actually did like talk to Adorno and of those people at all during his kind of Oregon phase. And they were, I wonder how they kind of like responded to his ideas or if it was ever even like a, well, he know, was, he was, he, I mean, by, he did try by, to talk to Einstein, which is funny. He did, yeah, he did, well, yeah, he did have a correspondence with Einstein and Einstein stopped writing him back once he asked like an actual scientist, what he, what to make of this guy's theories. Um, but he was the thing is like, Reich was pretty, I mean, he actually didn't get a lot of heat at first. Until somebody was like, "What the fuck's up?" Somebody put an article, I think, in Time, like, "What the fuck is up with this guy?" Although he, he was he was resoundingly discredited by um, uh, the uh, ego psychologists who were in part building off of his theories that were in the United States, who were basically trying to sort of integrate into you know like American capitalist society and developing psychoanalysis along lines that would do so. So for them, like somebody like Reich was just a, like a massive embarrassment. So I don't know how much <laughs> I don't know how much like the Frankfurt School would want to be associated with that. But who knows? Yeah, I, I would guess that Adorno's response would be stars down to earth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, his, his essays on irrationalism and like I don't know what you could call cultural fascism. <laughs> yeah, like the whole yeah. obsession with Wilhelm Reich by the alt-right is really funny because they also kind of like really hate this idea of that like fascism is like the result of an authoritarian slavish personality that's created by sexual repression like that you know that's just like oh that's that's too much you know that's too harsh man but like, but so much <laughs> of their stuff is like openly like preaching sexual repression <laughs> like it's like all yeah. of those like you know some like there's all this stuff that's like obsessed with you know like like loose women and they're they're you know ruining our society by all the sex they're having you know we need sh white sharia law and shit like that so it's like how you know yeah, yeah. white sharia literally is an alt-right meme like Oof. yeah it's really fucked up like they basically say yeah we need the equivalent of sharia law but for like white men against women to put oh, who, who, who do they think they're going to attract with this kind of thing even like there patron, are women who right? agree with them that's what's scary like if you delve into the alt-right universe there are I'm, women who are proudly I'm, like explaining how much they love white sharia and how they would be so much better off if they had always been the property of a man just crazy sure. I, I look there's you know there's people but channel it's, that it's, into bdsm tough. in a more sane way i mean people have those desires and Reich is reading hey, don't all BDSM into this. No, it's part of the base. It's not. It's not a superstructural function for Reich. It's uh. It's part of like the the material base of society. Which well, this is actually what's kind of weird about Reich is that he. I mean, he kind of has a very, I guess you could say, um, biological essentialist view of sexuality. He views like masturbation, 
homosexuality, all of them is basically substitute gratifications for like good old fashioned, like dick and pussy sex. You know, like that's he, another that, critique I have of this is that he doesn't right. talk about homosexuality at all. PIV. And yeah, um, basically, yeah. Actually, it's funny because Marcuse actually critiques Reich and um, uh, what's a book? Uh, uh what's the one? Uh, Eros and Civilization. He actually critiques Reich for um, basically believing in what he calls the tyranny of the genitals, or like the only real way to have sexual gratification is through like the genitalia. Which is interesting. Well, he, he explicitly, which is a fair critique of Reich, I would say. Well, yeah, because like Reich has this idea, you know, his thing is like, well, people aren't having orgasms, and like, well, what are you talking about? People have orgasms all the time. Well, they're not good orgasms. Like that's the problem. They need to be like the right kind of orgasm. Yeah. And if they if they were just if they were brought up like in the natural Trobian Island, I mean, there, there's some truth to this, but he gets he has like this extreme. You're right, like genital fixation, where it's like, you know, there's like if they just had like the natural kind of like primitive communist sex. I mean, I think uh, it's even know, like an happen. orgasm fixation, you know, because there's yeah. aspects of sexuality that go beyond the act of orgasm, you know. But I do think yeah. there, there is this biological essentialist like kind of edge to him where he does want to kind of make it about like the orgasm and the genitalia and shit. Yeah. Also, I would level like, well, authoritarian personalities seem to develop, seem to like focus on controlling sexuality. I don't think it's necessary. It can necessarily it's necessarily through sexual repression. There's often like cults, like the thing with like the sixties and like much of the backlash to the counterculture and that sort of thing was that these cults started to develop with the free love ideology, but it was extremely controlled. It was sort of like forced polygamy and that sort of thing. And it was about controlling sexuality rather than just simply repressing it entirely. Yeah. There was actually a commune in Austria, or um, I think that part of Europe, inspired by um, Wilhelm Reich, that um, basically had this system where everyone had... No, the men were not allowed to have their own bed, and they had to sleep with a different woman every night. And basically, like, it caught to the point where, like, you know, their children being raised, and as soon as they became pubet, you know, as soon as they... Or, you know, pubescent, they had to participate in the commune, so it was literally pedophilia, and so they got shut down eventually. So it was a well, it's weird because that doesn't seem to be what like Reich is arguing here, though. Yeah, like, obviously, he's... like, I mean, I'm sure there's tons of like idiot hippies who like read Reich and then came up with dumb ideas like that. No, Just... nobody, he's blind to those instincts, he's blind to these destructive instincts. He thinks it's all the product of sexual oppression, but even if it was, how would you get from there to here without that kind of shit happening? Right, well, that's yeah, that's the thing, like, it would take. Because he he no he notices how this you could say like the sexual economy of the Trobriand Islanders is uh, shaped by like the material conditions they have and like the ideological super superstructure that developed from that, but it is possible you know within cap I mean we have we've obviously seen there has been to a certain extent like sexual liberation advancing within capitalism yeah um, but but you can't make uh you can't make like like a per sexual utopia in one commune right. Exactly. I think that's the real flaw of the hippie thinking is because Reich is saying, like, we need to abolish capitalism as a world system and refound production on an entirely new base, you know, whereas these hippies read him and thought that, oh, we're going to have a little sex commune and that's going to be, you know, the solution. Well, it's interesting, too, because in preparation for this, um, Wilhelm Reich comes up in parts three and uh, in part three, mainly of uh, the century of the self, the Adam Curtis film. And it, it basically, like, the third part traces how his ideas uh, became the basis to a certain extent for, like, the self-help movement and this idea of, like, uncovering your inner self. And how this eventually, like, mutated into this idea. Well, you know, the, the same techniques that were he kind of helped to develop and were picked up by, advanced by other people, um, were picked up by other people who believed that there was no self, but used the same techniques to basically get people to like this nihilistic place where it's like there is no self, and so you can just invent it and be whatever you want, almost like some shit out of Rick and Morty. Um, and then it basically ended with like former yippies uh, working on you know Wall Street basically and completely like embracing capitalist ethos. And one of the one of the yippies that stayed true to his hippie roots commented sardonically that they went from socialism in one country to socialism in one commune to socialism in one person which is capitalism <laughs> yeah and um i think that's you know there is an interesting narrative there of adam curtis how like a lot of these ideas about sexual liberation when they're completely 
divorced from a critique of capitalism and patriarchy basically just become a new like ideology for men to exploit women and yeah ex- and exploit you know workers like right let's just face no, it yeah, just be- there kind of is like this this you know weird sexual freedom that we have that's not really freedom it's you know it's it's this idea of even, it's more like a compulsory heterosexuality than an actual like sexual liberation yeah there's still these you know i think pretty negative um you know primate regulation systems at work that their you know their walls might be fungible but there's still like a i don't know some kind of selection operating some kind of mechanisms of control that will shut you out and you know violently correct you if you're stepping out of line yeah and i think you know reich is correct in the point where the family is the original place where that is enforced that the patriarchal family and the repression of adolescent sexuality is basically what psychologically raises people to accept illegitimate forms of authority like the capitalist class in this instance because he says straight up that you know capitalism needs the imposition of family morality in order to justify itself because he sees an inherent link between the ideological oppression of the patriarch in the nuclear family and the ideological hegemony of the capitalist class if that makes sense yeah well, and, and he's thinking oh, in a really sorry. advanced like almost like social reproduction way actually here also yeah, he also, gets very close to that. Yeah. I would argue that like the capitalist class has sort of like a weird predatory sexuality to them. I I mean, given how common pedophilia is among them and that sort of thing, and how rape other forms of rape is common among them and how easily they can cover it up, like with Weinstein and that sort of thing, and Jeffrey Epstein. Pizzagate. Yeah, well, I mean, there is some <laughs> level of truth to that sort of thinking. To, to, they, but not, not to Pizzagate in particular. Not, yeah, not to Pizzagate. But, like, and, but honestly, that's why, clear. Clear. That's, why, yeah. that's why Pizzagate yeah. had a rational kernel to it. Like, that, yeah. a rational the rational kernel to Pizzagate? Because oh, let's face it, the ruling class are fucking pedophiles. And, yeah, like, so that's why something like Pizzagate I mean, yeah, they're seriously by people. Well, yeah, that's why they're, they have to set up Pizzagate as a false flag operation to discredit oh the people God. who are telling the truth, like Alex Jones and David Icke. Yeah, welcome yeah. to the Joe Rogan experience. I mean, but anyway, I want to I wanna continue. Well, hey, guys, idea hey, of hey did you see that video of this class. deer getting run over? Pull that up, Jamie. Sorry, go on. But I do want to talk about this idea, though, of the capitalist class having kind of a predatory sexuality, as Rosa put it, because I think that does kind of cut to like the the chase of like the emptiness of sexual liberation today okay they're starting to sound like some r incels shit but go on i, I mean i, I mean, don't I, that's not what i that's not what i like uh, i don't i, I don't mean, want to be taken that way because i don't i mean know, i don't obviously believe that there's like a sexual hierarchy no it's about the re- reproduction of like patriarchal norms even though we're supposed to be beyond all that yeah it's just that some, like, some yeah. of the material base has changed it seems yeah, like things should be different it's like yeah, it's okay you, to be polyamorous but like men totally use polyamory as a way to like emotionally manipulate women and you know abuse them basically like it's yeah it's you know you see how sexual freedom for men is not necessarily sexual freedom for women and how even for men there is this kind of compulsory heterosexuality that is kind of socially enforced on you that kind of pressures you to give in the kind of misogynistic gender norms that makes sense are you talking like aziz Aziz ansari well no no, i mean i'm i'm just I'm just talking about like this general, yeah. I mean, yeah, like you know that kind of behavior, like you know, from that guy is totally like a product of what is kind of socialized by you know the, this bourgeois family and bourgeois society. Like, you know, the com the amount kind of though, like there's there's yeah, I don't know. It, it's it's sort of a newer development. Like, it's still based around the control of sexuality. However, it's more leaning towards like the impulsive hedonistic kind. Like, the yeah, male libido point. is let loose, but the, the but it's like against. It's like it's kind of it's, a reverse fascism in a way. It's, like, an, it's, it's still yeah, the male libido is let loose, but in but like it's it's let loose in like a way to where women are still treated as property to be used by the yeah. male. libido. Yeah, you have IRL Patrick Batemans running around. <laughs> Chad, 
Shads, then. But, but I mean, I, I think. I mean, because I'm, I'm not talking about like Chad's, you know, I'm not talking about just people who get laid because plenty of people get laid and aren't shitheads, you know. I'm, I'm talking about just, you know, like all these like shitty bourgeois people who've been getting called out lately. It does show that there is kind of this sexually predatory ide- ideology in the bourgeoisie. I, I mean, I don't, yeah. I, I think, but I think this, you know, the ideas of uh, and the conditions of bourgeois society affect everybody. And I think this kind of ruins sexuality for like a lot of people <laughs> like this makes it this makes it like a hierarchical thing um for a lot of people but like and so proletarians as well um the, the other thing is that i don't trust nature with sexuality even though it, it invented it and um i think promoters are gonna hit you for that one <laughs> yeah well <laughs> Guess i agree what? with you on this one like i see my, nature my, as my gender is the future yeah like exactly. my gender is the future like okay? the, the entire history of humanity is like us overcoming nature and so but, but i think what one of the things is that i think there is something to be learned though from studying because there's so much of like human sexuality as a result of you know the needs of social reproduction has been mystified and i think that demystifying that stuff not as a way to find like the true set of you know social formations that we must adhere to because this is what's natural or whatever but understanding um you know like the origins of yeah, human I mean, sexual it, development it's good and actually be very enlightening and under right like you can literally be, prove by looking at like you know by showing literal examples of the social development of societies and you can prove that society's structure affects you know the moral section and sexual aspects of it but in the economic aspects are obviously like, you know, the, the key part, but you can prove that, you know, these structures aren't natural and inherent and reified because you can show counter examples. Yeah. But you know, we have to be systematic about that. Right. And so the whole angles origin of the family structure of the argument, we have to like evaluate with contemporary evidence. And I think while there is a, a point that, you know, there tends to be a shift towards patrilineal and and patriarchal uh, society and, and relations. Like once there's landed property and once there's, you know, m- like more, more economic activity, like more, indiv- I don't know, like non-communal economic activity or like different kinds of economic activity. I'm getting lost. Oh, okay. the form of tributary well, it's my understanding. It's really a, it really comes down to the ability of chiefs to extract tribute, which comes down from the ability of the patriarch to extract tribute, which comes my, down to via the the wife becoming a form of property. My, my well, over, it also comes My overall point, though, is that like that doesn't mean that what came before is necessarily matrilineal or in any sense matriarchal. And there's well, a vari- I mean, there's a variety of ways of organizing society beforehand. That's but, true. But matriarchy, also, ma- matriarchy, that like it's it's like hard to find a truly matriarchal society when there are visible political structures that you know seem to like embolden women. That's usually the mark of an egalitarian society that is trying to you know accommodate culturally for you know a, a natural power differential. Well, it's, I know, I mean, again, we're, like, way out of my depth here, but I know, like, just from, like, kind of taking, like, intro to anthropology classes in college, like, shit, probably 10 years ago, like, they talk about, they one thing they'll often point to is, like, the different behaviors of, you know, closely related primates uh, to human beings, right? So they'll look at, the, the three examples they often draw from are, like, humans, chimps, and bonobos, right? And... No lobsters? Yeah. Uh, uh, Consider the lobster. No, like, uh, so, because, like, bonobos are basically, like, extremely, you know, pansexual, and it's, the, their capacity to do this seems to be based upon two things, and if I'm wrong, again, you can write me and tell me what a dipshit I am if I'm wrong about this, but it seems to be based on the fact that they evolved in areas that um, were well-suited to uh, not having, like, a high degree of, like, social atomization and competition, and also to the women being able to organize amongst themselves um, in order to basically have a, some level of power, right? Like they weren't atomized and separated from each other like they are in, say, chimp society, which is a lot more cutthroat, a lot more rapey, and a lot more materially deprived. Um, and so there is like a probably a germ of this in terms of like, uh, you know, 
how this affects like human societies, right? So like you could say like a matriarchal society, at least in like maybe like, you know, like a primitive communist sense is one in which women are self-organized enough and cohesive enough to be able to like assert their interests socially um, within the tribal structure. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, right. Yeah. And that and that is certainly like one of the ways that things could be organized, although calling it matriarchy questionable. Like Well, I think I mean, what do you mean by matriarchy? Do you mean a society where women aren't oppressed per se? Right. Well, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah. Okay, so let's, because let's, I agree with you let's, there let's, let's because put let's put it this way. Non I would say matriarchy I would define it for the purposes of the discussion as one in which there it's it's non-patriarchy in which there is probably matrilineal descent. But there still can be like you know violence against women as a kind of a structural part of society. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like Jewish culture has matrilineal descent. It's fucking, well, you know, right. It has right. the pa patriarchal phallus god. Like, come on. Right. So I mean, yeah, it can't completely be reduced to that. But I do think that there is like an element. Isn't there some of evidence though within, within like Judaism though, that like uh, I do think well part of the reason that um, the idea of like. Uh, prehistoric matriarchy is that it because of Engels it did basically become like codified into orthodox Marxist doctrine and so in the 20th century there was kind of a reaction against that for obvious reasons but it's my understanding that like the anthropological trends and research are actually coming back around to saying that that was um, the idea of more egalitarian pre-civilizational social formations as being the norm um, that's coming back around into vogue now so yeah the the one thing I think we we can rule out is that patriarchal oppression, you know, throughout a society wasn't possible, and that really violent, you know, rapey forms of oh yeah awfulness are purely a result of landed property or purely a result of capitalism or whatever leftist bugaboo we have, and that we have to confront that there could be in a natural scenario just shit that no feminist would ever want to see and, oh yeah uh, i mean uh, absolutely i mean it, it depends on the material conditions of the society and i don't think Greg would disagree yeah but it you know it it does change the angles reich kind of paradigm it it's a significant challenge to it and in the same so. way that well like it suggests that like predatory sexuality and sort of patriarchal tendencies are rooted in the nature of men basically yeah and there 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 is like a um an interesting like attempt to kind of rehabilitate angles and say that there's a sort of axis for whether societies are more egalitarian or whether they're more patriarchal you know even as uh, forging societies is, is is whether women have a, a special role in a like procuring a specific resource resource that the society holds in high regard um and that that can increase women's power within a foraging band, and that that that's sort of an you know a property axis that exists even within primitive communism in, in some degree, or at least a division of labor act, um, variable where the economics still has an impact on whether patriarchy exists or not. But I think Engels is stated is 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 not true, like okay. in that respect. Well, I'm gonna wait. Yeah, there, there, there is problems. There are discredited well, aspects of the anthropology that Ingalls is drawing from. I mean, that's that's not yeah. That it's obviously true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, what I'm going to say is like I think this kind of goes back to Freud's argument, though. Then that there are just these kind of bad instincts in humanity as such that like need to be repressed. And so I think it's kind of maybe what if it's a mix of the two, where there are you know good instincts and in humans and bad instincts, and these bad well, instincts it is. be repressed. <laughs> But these good instincts are repressed in order to enable class society. You know, if that, if that makes sense. Well, yeah. I mean, I it, mean it, depends on, it depends on the context of the still... society. Like some 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 social context will produce different outcomes and behaviors and people. There is obviously a certain amount of plasticity to human behavior and I guess quote unquote human nature. Uh, that's absolutely yeah. true. I mean, if if that's if like there is sort of a predatory nature to specifically men. Um, wouldn't that pose a larger problem, even if it was more like a balanced view of like nature versus nurture sort of thing? Like for us, like when we have to do some kind of weird eugenics esque program to like just get rid of the predatory instincts or whatever. I mean, maybe I'm pushing it too far. Honestly, I don't know if I necessarily. Yeah, yeah. No, you got to put, put the hormones. 
You gotta put the hormones <laughs> in the mean, water to uh, demasculize, demasculate men, and then I mean, uh, turn them into soy boy cucks. I mean, this might be a non sequitur, <laughs> but recent research in epigenetics has suggested that generally traits, genetic traits, can be turned off and off by environmental factors such as diet, etc. It's a rel. These are relatively new discoveries, and the research isn't there. And there's already like pearl clutching about neo-Lamarckianism, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. Well, that's the fun thing about epigenetics is that it kind of, in the same way, there's a sort of genital fetish in uh, psychology, and like there's also this like genetic fetish in in biology. And it turns out it looks like genetics ends up being like a, a very important kind of code but that has to go through this vastly all, complex yeah, expression so mediations through which it's you got it. so hyper mediated there's so many relevant real levels of analysis richard dawkins man by the world selfish gene man people are just i selfish. mean i would say in response to what rosa said about if this is an instinct that's natural to men i would say it's not if it is if this is really an instinct it's natural to all humans of all genders and i think it would have to be channeled some way through society that doesn't lead to destructive ends. And I think what Reich is trying to say is that we can channel this through society by having free love, basically, and having communism where we can all, you know, express ourselves and develop and become, you know, free humans. And, you know, well, let me give you an example. That's what, that's what Reich says too. Like, you know, I mean, obviously there's always going to be like some like hardcore psychos out there, but people's, people's um, aggressive instincts come out in situations where aggression is warranted. Well, when's aggression warranted? It's when resources are scarce and I got to, I got to, you know, assert my territory, my territory here to lay claim to this thing. Otherwise I'm going to starve and other people, if they starve, fuck them. I, I'm not, I gotta look out for number one, you know? So you can create a, I mean, that's not the, the basis of the idea of communism is you create like conditions of abundance for everyone. You satisfy sort of people's material wants and then you can have like a peaceful society where people aren't acting all crazy and fucking doing crazy shit. <laughs> I mean, is, is I it mean possible? the way you phrased that was beautiful. I think, <laughs> but, and I, I don't, I think it's completely plausible and possible. Is it possible well, that having like a land of plenty could create like a moral deviance? You know what I mean? That like, well, I mean, hard times, I mean obviously hard, it's got to be more than just like lots hopefully. of free stuff. Like, I don't, it's not just like, yeah, if we just give people lots of free stuff, they'll become good. Like, obviously <laughs> there has to be like a deeper revolution in the sense of how people relate to each other. But that's There's part of idea. changing the relations of production themselves and changing Victor the Hugo famous. which, you know, society is developed. I know, I feel like. Well, something you said a second ago, Lexi, kind of it reminds me of like this Victor Hugo quote. Uh, I think it's I think it's Victor Hugo where he said I think uh, mm. ad adversity makes men and prosperity makes monsters, <laughs> and so there there is this kind of fear that yeah you know like having people basically become spoiled if they're but I feel like like in a in a communist society you can find a way to like account for that and like make some structural adjustments to make people be less shitty. I mean, there would be a sort of like labor core force for everyone. Or, or yeah, like, that like would I be think minimal, right? But like it would probably exist. Well, I think part of creating that, you know, society of the abundance will mean that people will have to participate in social production at some level. You know, I don't think it's just going to be like, you know, people just sitting around and having robots do everything for them. Like, I still think there's going to be, you know, creative processes of social production that people participate in. And, you know, as we get rid of the more shitty forms of work, then humans can adventure into more, you know, exciting forms of work or whatever, you know. But yeah, I don't think anyone wants like the Walt, the Wally future where it's yeah, like exactly, you know, just like floating. Buds. Well, and yeah. that's, you know, why Wally sucks so bad, because it's like portraying like, oh, well, you know, it's almost like this is what communism will be. Everyone will just, you know. That's it's not communism. Around. That's like a post. That's like a. It's just like a capitalist. Like it's like uh, it's like a weird. Post, it's like a weird capitalist post scarcity thing. I it's don't like know. it's like if Disney won the world. That's I kind of love Wally because it's it's like a strangely anti-capitalist Disney movie. Eh, I yeah, feel Wall like there's Wally kind of anti-utopian like message Look, we'll, to it. We'll, we'll, but we'll, do this, we'll, we'll do this another episode. We'll do this another. We'll have the Wally debate. So we'll <laughs> Wally I'm, I'm just saying their dystopian futurism because capitalism is the only option to them is 
ends up looking a lot like a critique of capitalism. Carry we'll on. do a we'll so do a roundup. We'll do realism. We'll do Wally. We'll do ants, and we'll do uh, we'll do <laughs> we'll do B movie. Your reactors on Earth have gone off with Wally there that long and all. It just doesn't make sense. Okay. Um. So let's see. We're coming up. We're about coming up at about an hour. Uh, do we have anything else to say about uh, Wilhelm Reich? I feel like there's a lot to say. Like yes, we could go on me. another hour about this. <laughs> I didn't but, uh, bring we, up the we, weird childhood trauma thing that. Yeah, he we could had. bring up that. You know, that's an interesting. Is that was that well sourced? That's a really that it was on the Wikipedia page. <laughs> All right, so it's in the early childhood section on the Wikipedia page. So I'm assuming it's totally well sourced because you know Wikipedia is just. Oh my god, Wikipedia is the best. So here we go. All right, so the incest thing that he talks about in, like, the tribal thing, whatever, he basically explains they don't have incest because they don't have repressed sexuality, and repressed sexuality creates, like, the desire to fuck your mom, whatever, etc., that sort of thing. So that's, like, it, tr it, it was, like, it felt really sort of close to home, so I looked at his Wikipedia page. And I had done this before, and I just sort of forgotten about it. But basically, in his childhood, he had this really traumatic event where basically he had these desires to fuck his mom. Incredible desires to fuck his mom. <laughs> um, yeah, so... And eventually he found out that his tutor was having an affair with his mom. You, they were having an affair together. So he thought about using that as a means of blackmailing his mom into having sex with him. But he just ended up just telling his dad instead. And his dad beat the living shit out of his mother. And his mother ended up committing suicide. And he basically blamed himself for the rest of his life. That is the worst fucking thing I've ever heard. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty miserable. Pretty wow. miserable. So that that's that sounds like he so he's from a well-off family. This is like the bourgeois character of of sexual re repression and perversion and all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't he, wasn't, yeah, wasn't he like be relatively bourgeois, at least like petty bourgeois if he had to get a tutor? Yeah, wasn't he banging a bunch of his tutors though and shit like that? Well, like later on in his life, he ended up like you know a lot of his. So I don't know, like he went to whore. I mean, um, prost. <laughs> I can't think of the the this oh fuck. You can say it. He went to house, house. sex sex work sex hubs. worker enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies sex of worker the evening. hut, pizza hut, only better. Um, there's no there's no easy way to say it. Yeah, but I know. How, houses of ill repute. But uh, I mean, what did he do there? Is my question. Well, yeah. it's based on a diary entry. Might be plausible. It might not be. Is this when he was, like, his. younger or older? Older. It was, okay. like, older. And as an adult, Reich wrote extensively on in his diary about his sexual pre I can't read words. Oh, my God, my dyslexia is kicking in. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. This, so, so, basically, weird... this guy was fucking a lot of people when he was older. So, yeah, basically, it's what it sounds like is Reich was basically, like, trying to be, like, a Hugh Hefner-type character or something in his <laughs> older days. Like, preaching sexual liberation and selling organ boxes and, you know, having sex yeah, that's with lots problem. of people. And honestly, like, he kind of becomes what he hates in his early days, you know? Oh, that is so horrible. Oh, my God. You know, supporting Eisenhower against the Soviet Union and, you know, being an anti-communist fanatic. And it's totally like he totally becomes like what he hates at, at his best years of his life. He ends up just becoming like this. I imagine he probably was like a sexual despot who like justified like horrible relationships with like oh i'm I'm training you how to orgasm correctly so you can be well, no, he yeah well he started like uh kind of in like his middle period he started um i think his like character armor theory or whatever and basically it had him he basically like undress patients and massage them and try oh and like find like pressure points that were like repressed or whatever and then that would like that would destroy like their character armor and get them to like um Strengthen their ego. Yeah, that's just ego washing shit that LaRoche, LaRouche would. Well, it's not 
it was less sexual with LaRouche, but there was the same basic idea of like ripping apart your ego. Sort yeah, of. and he, he had like a he had a place that was doing this, and I guess I guess like they started treating kids too, and some kids got molested, not by him, but by like other people who were working for him. Yeah, I actually yeah, read about that when I was originally researching Reich in my more counterculture days, and that kind of yeah. disturbed me because yeah. you can actually there is a dark side of these ideologies, I think, and I think you know this. I can see how some people could take this kind of idea that you know uninhibited sexual freedom is just this great thing, and then kind of well, and the, the, that they can fuck whoever they want, but have no emotional responsibility to those people, and just be like, you know, a, a total you know douche bro. Well, that's the thing too is that you know there is another question that's posed because the particular example that he points to, I mean, I think he is correct in assessing like the sexuality of the Trobriand Islanders to be fairly healthy. Obviously, it's not perfect; it's not a utopia. But the fact that, you know, they, a lot of the common repressions that exist, like, you know, in our society and in Western society are absent, um, I think, you know, it's, it's probably a good thing. But there, there's a thing to it where, you know, these are like small societies where people all know each other. And obviously there is um, people, you know, they, he talked about how, like, they'd go on expeditions where basically a bunch of guys or girls would go over to another tribe, basically to get laid, you know, and... But even then, between these tribes, there is like a certain structure and series of uh, intrinsic relationships. Um, but you know what we have in the capital society is like a society full of strangers, where there are very, where there are very, there aren't like intrinsic um, social obligations between people uh, in the society necessarily. So yeah. can you really have like the same kind of sexual mores in a society of anonymous people? Yeah, I think if you actually have a, a socialist society in the sense of like. And I'm saying socialist in the sense of people are socialized. People are not atomized individuals, but are a collective, you know, you know, are collectively working together and producing, you know, amongst each other and aren't atomized and, comp and competing, but rather cooperating, that you do get a fundamentally different sexual morality, I think, in that kind of situation. Not just because of abundance, but because of the little relations of production are cooperative and are, are socially direct they're you know they're not indirect and maybe that points to the limits of the extent to which sexual liberation is possible under capitalism yes exactly and that's why i keep bringing up like this kind of predatory bourgeois sexuality because you right. know i don't i don't like stressing this narrative too much because it gets taken up by conservatives but there's kind of this narrative of like if you have sexual liberation you know under capitalism it just makes people more atomized and alienated but the thing is, like, there is a limit to what sexual liberation can achieve under capitalism. And to an extent, sexual liberation becomes subsumed to capitalism and does become, like, a new type of tyranny, basically. And a lot of right-wingers kind of realize this, but, like, in a very perverted way. So they attack the very idea of sexual liberation itself while not recognizing that the problem is that, you know, the family structure, you know, it does need to be destroyed. But capitalism needs to be destroyed as well so that we can build something better than the family structure. So in conclusion, um, we need to build organ boxes, right? Build them I mean, organ boxes. I just, so I don't, we do. I don't we see don't, us coming to that conclusion. We, but. Organ no, trail. Organ trail. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Okay, we build the organ boxes. We sell them, but we don't make the mistake Reich did. We tell people that it's just therapeutic. It's like a it's like a meditation tank. It's like one of those Okay, tanks. so it's just how CLT we is gonna, we, we're not gonna we, sell Kratom, we're gonna sell orgone boxes. We strongly I don't, I don't imply like this idea. We we strongly imply that it cures cancer and makes your orgasms amazing, but we we, we say all these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration for therapeutic purposes only. And then the yeah. FDA is gonna shut us down just like they did to Wilhelm Reich. No, yeah. but he was going around telling people that these things cure cancer. Like, he, he would literally be like, this thing will cure cancer. You won't get cancer if you sit in the Actually, yeah. um, oh one God. time I was at, like, some weird art thing, and some, like, hippie lady was, like, selling orgone crystals. And, like, I walked up yeah. to her, and I was like, hey, can you, like, show me how the orgone crystals work? And she was like, <laughs> put your hands above them in a certain way. And so I did it, and I, like, actually did try to, like, feel it. He's like, do you feel it? And I'm, you know, and I'm like, no, I don't feel it. Like, and she's just like, oh, well, some people aren't attuned to orgone. And I'm like, oh, well, I really wish I was because I am interested in Wilhelm Reich. But I guess, you know, I can't be a child of the orgone. <laughs> yeah. That's it for this week.
This one was a little painful to listen back to. I realized that throughout the podcast I was sort of conflating patrilineal descent with matriarchy, and my co-host attempted to warn me about this error multiple times, but I think I was too manic uh, to really process the error in real time, accept the correction, and move forward. So, having, having to listen back to uh, me spewing my ignorance uh, for <laughs> fucking 40 minutes is uh, punishment enough, I think. If you want to get hold of us, you can email us at swampsidechance at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can leave us a good review on iTunes or like our Facebook page. So until next time, keep your boots clean, your feet out of the swamp, your orgasms potent, and your head in the revolutionary clouds of tomorrow. <laughs>